This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Have you ever read a book or watched a movie and some small detail actually became the turning point in the entire story? And the whole plot line turned on that small piece of information? Well, that's exactly what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 7, as David's rightful intent to build God's house actually lays the foundation for one of the most prophetic announcements in all the Bible. We'll talk about it today on today's podcast from 2 Samuel chapter 7. We'll look at verse 11 through 16 together. Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. And when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul. When I removed it from before you, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible because of its prophetic import for the storyline. As the chapter begins, we learn that David is finally, after years of waiting and running for his life, the undisputed leader of Israel who enjoys the peace and prosperity of the land. After David learns the difficult lesson of humility and moving the ark of God in the chapter previous, he is rightly grieved at that the people are building him an opulent palace. In contrast, the Ark of God, the symbolic presence of God among his people, now in Jerusalem, it dwells in a tent. He approaches Nathan the prophet regarding his thought to build a temple for the Lord God of Israel. After Nathan gives him the green light to begin construction, God comes to Nathan with an essential prophetic message for David. And rather than David building a house for God, as in a temple, God plans to build a house for David, as in a kingly dynasty. Now this is an astounding turn of events, but it's rooted in a larger understanding of God's sovereign majesty. You see, David thought to build God a temple, but God makes it clear that the God of the universe cannot be housed in a temple made of human hands. His presence is infinitely greater and more majestic and powerful and holy than any human house could do him justice. And this is the opening line that Nathan gives to David. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I've been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. Though David's thinking was correct in building a house for God, his view of God was infinitely smaller than God's omnipotent and omniscient plans. So God makes some pretty incredible promises to David, promises with messianic overtones to them. 
God promises to raise up your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish your kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This prophecy will actually be doubly fulfilled and this is the beauty of this passage. You see, God would indeed raise up a king, a descendant from whom would come from his own body, that's Solomon, and he would become king. And he would indeed build a house for God's name, a temple for God's dwelling, a majestic home that would serve as God and his people's designated place of meeting, but only for a season. His throne would not be established forever. In fact, the kingdom that he would preside over would be split before his body was cold in the ground after his death. So while this prophecy was fulfilled partially in his own son, we learned that a more noble son who is to come would fully and completely embody this prophecy. He would indeed be raised up, as in resurrected. He would physically be David's descendant, as in the same line in Judah. He would be the lion of Judah, spoken of in Genesis 49. He would come from the city of David, Bethlehem. The very fields that David once roamed as a boy would be filled with the angelic announcement that the son of David was indeed, according to verse 14, God's own son. He would be the rock that would, according to Daniel 2, destroy every other kingdom and set up his reign forever. He would indeed be the house built for God's name. You see, the glory of the Lord, his manifested presence that once inhabited Solomon's temple, he dwelled with his people there until the time of Ezekiel, when the people turned away from him, and the glory of the Lord, his manifested presence, it rolled out of the temple. This was Ezekiel's vision in Ezekiel chapter 10. But his manifested presence would return to his people in a new and glorious way through his own son. John 1.14 said, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, the word dwelt there actually means to tabernacle with. God's glorious presence had returned to his people again in the form of Jesus, his own son. This was the interpretation of these words in Acts chapter 7 by Stephen before his martyrdom. Jesus is indeed the son of God. He declared this multiple times, Matthew 27, Luke 22, Jesus was the temple of God. He claimed that he would build this temple and raise it up again, Matthew 26, Mark 14, John 2. He claimed to have an eternal throne, Matthew 19, possessing an imperishable kingdom, Luke 22, John 18. All these passages point to Jesus being the temple of God dwelling with his people, the presence of God dwelling with his people. And though he never sinned, he was disciplined with a rod of men and blows from mortals. His goodness and faithful love will never leave him, and his kingdom will reign forever and ever. What a glorious and breathtaking view of God's eternal plan through Jesus' work on the cross here, close to a thousand years before its fulfillment. Now, what should we learn from all of this? Well, the first thing to be learned is that God keeps his promises, right? Every promise made 
he would indeed fulfill. Our response to this should model David's reaction at the end of the chapter. He finds the courage to pray that God would keep his promise in David's life and line. And we should do no less. Moses held God to his promises in prayer. David did the same, and so should we. Great men of faith take God at his word, and they expect him to accomplish those promises in their life for his own glory's sake. The same should be true for us. We should pray for God to fulfill his promises in our life because the fulfillment of those promises bring God glory. When God makes a promise and keeps it, the world around us sees that God is indeed a faithful God, the kind of God he claims to be in these verses. Secondly, we should praise God for the gospel that comes as a result of this fulfillment. Praise God for our king who came and inaugurated this new imperishable kingdom on earth. Praise him for his power that raised Jesus from the dead, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. Praise him for his faithful love that includes us in his kingly reign. Praise him for the salvation that comes through his virtuous life and substitutionary death. Thirdly, and perhaps most astonishingly, as Stephen declared, we must realize that God's presence did not just remain with us through Jesus. He wasn't just with us. He moved within us. We are now the temple of God. This is absolutely mind-blowing. It's not that God just brought us near, but that he lives within us. This God, this majestic God, who does not live in houses made by hand, somehow, by the work of the Holy Spirit, chooses to dwell within us. We are his temple. This should change everything about our lives how we think about ourselves, how we view our purpose in life and our relationship with God and the world around us. This understanding should invade every corner of our lives and move us to holiness and intimacy with God. So Father, how do we respond to such glorious news? We don't even know where to start. We sit here in your presence as David did and say, who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God. For you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can we say to you? You know your servant. Lord God, because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to us. This is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you, and there is no God beside you, as all we have heard confirms. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.